With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Well, thanks as always for checking us out here on the GM Shuffle. Got lots of great feedback last week's episode. Not only the football talk, but of course the Sopranos talk and Frank Sinatra there in Hoboken, New Jersey. So always please let us know what you think of the pod. Go to Apple Podcasts. And of course, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram, M Lombardi NFL or Adnan S. Verk. We got lots of great football talk here. Nick Foles pulling ahead. Mitch Trubisky struggles. That's right. That's right. MVP Mitch in the conversation. Defensive end Alden Smith looking good in his return to the NFL. Plus, the Ravens releasing safety Earl Thomas. How about that? Earl Thomas, you remember him? Legion of Boom. Well, he threw a punch at a guy and the Ravens said, okay, see ya. But we begin with the story. This came out, Mike. You reported this after we'd recorded the podcast. I got questions from James Scully and others afterwards going, hey, where, where did Mike get this tip from? But you got a tip from a GM not involved in the Yannick and Gakue talks uh, on his way out of Jacksonville, indicating he was close, thought it might be the Jets. They denied involvement or the Raiders or any of the other teams that need an excellent pass rusher. But what's what's the latest now? It looks like a trade's going to happen, but and not today necessarily, but it's going to happen soon, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I got a text from a, a GM in the league, and he said that, hey, the, the uh, Ndokwe deal's going down, and, uh, you know, it's probably going to happen tomorrow or the next day, but with no team involved. And then, so I tweeted it out, and then uh, I got another call from uh, a, a club in the league saying that David Caldwell was all upset that he called this other team up saying, like, why would I leak that stuff out, you know, and accuse that team of giving him the information. So, and then I thought the deal was going to happen on Wednesday. It fell through. Everything's going radio silent down in Jacksonville. You know, this I do know. You know, you're going to have to take on a $17 million cap charge. And you're going to have to try to figure out what asset you can give up to take that cap charge on for a good player. Now, I was told it was going to be a two. Look, my source, obviously the story hasn't come through yet. My source was is great. My source is un, unbeaten in his, in his accuracy. So... Look, right now it looks like I I got duped on it. Then I fuck. Then I you know ad. Then I did the dumbest thing you could possibly do, and I, I should get shot. At, you know at sunset. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm on Twitter and I'm seeing that that Indakwe's tw- uh, trending. So I see what people are saying, and I fall for the fake Adam Schefter fuck account. Like why do people have to do that? Like I know I'm a moron for doing that, but <laughs> like why do we have to have fake accounts? Like seriously, like it's it's hard enough for me just to turn the goddamn computer on, let alone fake accounts. Seriously. <laughs> you shouldn't be shot for it, first of all. And you're right. We all fall victim to it. And the stupidest part of it is it's like close enough to what it is, right? So like 
Schefter's, I don't know what the fake account is, but like if you look at it to your point, you quickly go, oh, yeah, of course it's Adam Schefter. And then they've got the F and the T transposed, whatever it is. So you're right. It's just the stupidity of people. They got to make it harder on us than the world already is. I mean, it's just, it's it's so bad, like, like seriously, and it's so toxic. And then of course you get called an idiot by 17,000 people on Twitter, which I deserved. I mean, there's no doubt, you know, when you fall for something that stupid and I just read it, you know, and so look, I think they're going to trade in Dockway. There's no doubt that's just going to happen when it happens. I mean, I thought Doug Marone was was funny when he said that he wishes him well. Like, he knows he's gone. Like, Doug Marone's quote was he's definitely gone. I mean, Marone's in, is in such a tough spot because how good are they actually going to be next year, this year in Jacksonville? And he's going to pay a price for it. Well, here's the key is what you wrote in your call, me Athletic. As always, you can read Mike's work there. Here's the thing, and Gakwe is not bluffing. He will not report until the 10th game of the season to get his accreditation, allowing him to become a free agent next season. Caldwell is dealing with a player not motivated by money right now, which means he is not anxious or panicking. And Gakwe is motivated by a change of scenery, escaping Jacksonville, and knowing he will receive full compensation soon. So the problem for Caldwell is, okay, I got to trade this guy. I'm not going to get fair market value because everybody knows the guy wants out. But at the same time, Thurman is going to take on that $17 million cap charge. So you're between a rock and a hard place. You make the best move. You pray for the best deal. And the key is, as you said, Ngakwe's not bluffing. That's You try to call a guy's bluff, but he's not bluffing. Good luck. Yeah, it's like Uncle Junior says. You do the best you can. You steer the ship as best you can, right? <laughs> and so here's the reality, though. Here's the reality. is if So you're David Caldwell. So if people listening to the pod, you're David Caldwell. What has to happen for you to trade in Dockway? First of all, he's not signed to a tender. So that means you have to deal with his agent. So not only do you have to make a deal with a team, say he says to the Raiders, I will trade. Now, the Raiders don't have the cap room to do this deal right now, but just say they, nor do they have the, you know, I mean, they spent a lot of money uh, last year, this offseason. I mean, the Raiders were like, teenagers on the Ocean City boardwalk. They went through money quick, right? So they, you know, it's over with. They don't have any coin to do it. But the reality here is, is so say you're Caldwell and you want to trade them to Carolina. Let's just pick Carolina. And I'm not, I don't think Carolina's in it, so I'll just pick them. So not only do you have to get his agent to agree that he wants to play for Carolina, you've got to get Carolina to make sure they have the 17 million of cap room for him to come on. So say you want to trade him to Cleveland and he says, I'm not going to Cleveland. Well, then you lost your deal. So you need cooperation from the team you're trading with and the team you're not, and the team you're and the agent. So it's it's a three prong event and it's really hard to orchestrate. And there's so many teams, like two teams, you know, that would love to have them, Houston and Indianapolis are monitoring this thing very closely. And, you know, they have the cap room. Obviously, Houston has to sign Deshaun Watson to an extension, which I, I keep hearing that's going to come before the beginning of the season. So we'll see. But you've got to have the cap room. And those two teams don't really are, – are, they're not going to trade this player to them right now. So it's a really – it's a challenging spot for Caldwell to handle, you know, because he doesn't have a lot of options. Because he does have a player who's saying, Bafangu to you, I don't really give a shit. You're going to have to trade me. And, you know, remember, he got into this war with Tony Khan, you know, the son of the owner. I mean, you know, so it, 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 the options are limited. Speaking of options, that moves us to Jadeveon Clowney and his asking price. Apparently, Cleveland was willing to give him, but 
don't know if he's going to get the 18 million, 19 million that was available to him before the training camp opened. The Titans are also interested in him, but not at the number that Clowney wants. Apparently, he wants at least 17 million which is the number we just said, by the way, in regards to Ngakwe. Seahawks and the Raiders are also interested, although when it comes to the Raiders, one source said there's a varied appetite, whether you're speaking to John Gruden or general manager Mike Mayock. The source said Mayock appears to be squarely in the same price point camp as the Titans and the Seahawks. It's a debatable, Mike, whether or not Clowney's worth $18, $19 million a year, but what's he going to end up getting? Before we get to the team, is he going to get $17 million? Because Cleveland looks like they're the team that's willing to pay. I mean, he won't lower his price. I mean, there's no market. It's there's no market for him at 17 million, and he won't lower his price. I mean, he truly believes that desperation will be the, the his saving grace. That there'll be some injury that happens, some team will get desperate, and some team will come to him and pay him. And the longer this goes on, he doesn't give a crap because he really doesn't practice anyway. So you know, he'll be just as happy to show up the Monday before the opening game and come in and have no training camp and get ready to go because if he wants, you know, a million dollars a week is really what he wants. He wants to get paid a million dollars a week. That's a good gig if you can get it, AD. <laughs> I mean, money be green. I mean, that's a good gig if you can get it. Yeah, we could ask our boy Tony Romo. He's getting a million bucks a week, I think, to call football games. It is a good gig if you can get it. it it's interesting with Clowney, though. You're right. Again, this is all about bluffing. He's asking for this price. He's, you know, hoping someone's going to do it. And the other teams are basically – calling his bluff and saying, all right, it's your choice. You want to play football or not want to play football? And maybe he will be a guy that signs at the last minute. But then, Mike, I'd be frustrated if I'm a team. Let's suppose I'm the Titans or the Raiders and I pay him $15 million, okay? So I got his price down from 17 but how do I know he's in shape? You know, how do I know he's going to know our system? He's coming into camp one week before the season starts. That would be frustrating to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be. And I mean, look, there's not enough teams that just have – now, you could do some things with his – you could do some things with his salary. I mean, you could give him a signing bonus and you know carry him out for three years and lower his cap number you can make it work but but the re- the problem is with that that idea is we know next year's cap potentially could come down now I think really in all honesty you know I think next year's cap probably will stay the same because I think these TV deals are going to be astronomical I think these TV deals are going to be huge but right now I mean right now according to over the cap uh, which is a great website if you want to if you want to research cap numbers. I mean, the Browns have forty million, the Patriots have thirty four million, the Redskins have thirty one, and the Jets have thirty. The Broncos have twenty seven. So there's a lot of teams that have that have cap room that could take him on easily, right? They could take Clowney on. They could take. I mean, the Eagles could take on could take Indakwe on right now. You know, and and fit his seventeen. They got twenty three million. They could fit him in there, and but they know they have. They're going to be over the cap next year. So the Eagles, to me, would be a great team for him to go to. He's from the Baltimore. He's from the area. The Eagles could use that. They play a wide nine technique. You know, I would rather pay Indakwe the seventeen million than play Clowney because Clowney, I think you're only going to get five or six games out of him. So based on this, there's teams that can do it. So if you're Caldwell. Or you're in, the, or you're Clowney's agent. You're dealing with the Browns. The Patriots don't want Clowney. The Patriots don't want Indakwe. You're dealing with Washington, who has players there. You're dealing with the Jets, the Broncos, you know, the Dolphins, the Lions. Those are the teams you're dealing with. I mean, if the Lions could pull a deal off for Indakwe, which they may be involved in it, you know, they've got. That's the one thing they need. If if the Lions could get Indakwe as an outside rusher with their defense. They, they could have a chance, the way Matthew Stafford played last year, they could have a chance to win the North. Well, that's bold uh, confidence there, but you're right. The Lions certainly have the pressing need, and that North looks a little topsy-turvy. We're going to get to Trubisky and the Bears 
in just a second. These are names people know, Mike. In Gakwe, they know Jadeveon Clowney. You've known him since college. How about Logan Ryan? He's a guy who turned 29 in February. He's never been an all-star, never been a pro bowler, but he wants to get paid. And this is a guy who's done some things. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion, 17 career interceptions, 85 career starts for the New England Patriots and the Tennessee Titans. So he's versatile in the fact that he views himself as a safety, not a cornerback. And Ian Rappaport reported that in March, Ryan wanted $10 million per year, and he believes that he's going to get it somewhere. But again, is this a guy who should be lowering his asking price, considering the fact, like I said, credentials in terms of all-star pro bowler, he's never done it. I know he's been a good player on good teams, but $10 million a year seems like a lot. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and you know, look, Logan's a great person. And he, he's position flexibility really is he's a star, which is the inside slot corner. He needs to play safety and star. You know, when he came out, we when I was in Cleveland, and I really liked him a lot. I was the only one in the building that liked him. And we debated between him and Leon McFadden, obviously, you know, much like I felt privy to the uh, – to the to the fake Twitter account, we took the wrong player. And then Belichick took Logan Ryan right after him. And Logan Ryan's deficiencies in terms of lack of foot speed, which is the same thing McFadden had too, you know, but Logan Ryan had positional flexibility. So he could go, I, I felt Logan Ryan was a star safety, which to me is a position that no one really talks about. It's 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 a position that you need to have on your team. It's a guy that can play inside inside the corner where he'll tackle and be physical, and he could play safety. So you got a little bit of versatility out of him, and that's where. But nobody wants to pay this kind of money for him. So I think that that if he hasn't gotten this money now, he's not getting it. Going to be a tough situation. I agree at this point to think you're going to get ten million dollars with the football season starting just in a couple of weeks. This story got a lot of play. Earl Thomas. You know his name because of what he was able to do with the Legion of Boom of the Seahawks. He is a seven-time Pro Bowl safety, but an on-field altercation with his teammate Chuck Clark. Now, listen, these things happen. We know guys get in their faces a little bit, but this is the second fiery exchange for a teammate with Thomas. He confronted nose tackle Brandon Williams after a loss to Cleveland 11 months ago. He also apparently missed or was late to several meetings through the 17 months in Baltimore. And the Ravens say, okay, see ya. You want to start throwing punches at guys? Forget about it. They're expected to try to avoid his $10 million guaranteed salary this season. It is expected, by the way, that Thomas is going to file a grievance. And they're going to take a $15 million salary cap hit for releasing him unless they're able to avoid that $10 million guaranteed salary this season for conduct detrimental to the team. This is interesting, Mike, on multiple layers. I am sure guys get after it in training camp. I am sure guys get feisty and, you know, get physical and words are exchanged, but maybe throwing punches is over the line and the Ravens are tired of this and they're tired of a shtick in general. First off, before we discuss where Thomas could go, um, Pete Carroll feels bad about this. What do you think? Well, I think Pete Carroll interjecting into this tells you all you need to know. Like the word on the street, whether it's accurate or not, is, you know, Earl's got some off the field issues. What to what extent they are, I don't know. But enough, if you don't, you don't need to be Jim Rockford to figure out what's going. By the way, I, I have been devouring the Rockford Files on Peacock Television. I don't. It's the it might be the greatest thing that that Peacock's ever done. Like that, this new NBA. They're showing all these old seventies uh, murder. You know, have you ever watched the Rockford Files? I haven't. I know. Didn't our man David Chase work on the Rockford Files pre Sopranos? He wrote the Rockford Files. I mean, he wrote the Rockford Files, and he was one of the writers on the Rockford Files. In fact, when he was writing the Rockford Files movie. 
he went over to Meta Rosenberg's house, which was the woman who produced the Rockford Files. And when he walked into her writing room, she had like a off, off the pool. That's where he saw a ramp built for the ducks to go in and out of the water. And so he thought when he got home that night, he thought, well, you know, that would be perfect for my mafia guy. Actually, his name was Tommy, Tommy Soprano. Uh, it would be perfect for Tommy to have ducks. And so that's kind of how it got started. But anyway, uh, the the Rockford Files is is I, I lived through college through watching it. You know, it's it, Jim James Garner's incredible in it, and it's so well written. It's got it, it's got good plots. But the Peacock Network has it all up there. Like you can watch all six seasons of it. You're right. NBC is now in the game with streaming now with Peacock in the mix. So that's great. Yeah, no, it is, and it's like I I, I tell I tell. Uh, uh, my my friend Bill, the Nate, we watch it together, right? And and by the way, th- this is uh, it's a big week here on uh, on in at Ocean City. We have Bermfest. Bill turns fifty, so the whole week is booked in terms. Of, you're probably not going to be able to get a room in Ocean City this week because Bermfest is going on here. You know, there's cooking, there's all sorts of events going on uh, to celebrate his fiftieth birthday. So we're we're handling that. But <laughs> I, I was telling his kids, I'm like, I'm like, you got you guys have to watch the Rockford Files to see how hard it was. For for us to deal with shit. Like we're listening to music on a turntable. We're, we're, he's got to stop at pay phones to make phone calls, you know, like, like, it's like, do you realize what we had to go through? How easy your life is? <laughs> Seriously, like how easy this is for you? Like, just watch this show for a half hour and tell me that you don't have it made. Like, you know, like seriously, anyway, I regurgitate <laughs> anyway. So you don't have to be Rockford. You don't have to be Rockford to figure out what's going on with Earl Thomas. There's something happening off the field. Like you can make one phone call. You can make no phone calls. You can make 10 phone calls. Like there's something going on, whether it's, you know, what happened with he and his wife, whether it's off the field activities, I don't know. But Earl's not a happy man and no one wants to deal with Earl. And so even the Cowboys who, you know, everybody said, well, Jerry's going to sign him. Now, Jerry went lukewarm on it, but McCarthy made a few phone calls into Baltimore or into Seattle. And when Pete came out and said he feels bad, I mean, I think they knew what his problems were in Seattle when they let him go. Remember, he gave him the middle finger when he's coming off the field. I mean, this is not a, do you really want to go to work every day and deal with this? Seriously. Yeah, seven-time Pro Bowler. I get that the excellence speaks for itself, but he's the wrong side of 30 now. He's, you know, it's easy to say he's not the same player he once was. And more to your point, if you're a spectacular player, Mike, I'll take a lot. If you're a great player, I'll take a lot. If you're a good player, eh, and you come with a ton of baggage, like I can find somebody else that's good. And by the way, I don't have to pay him that much money either. I don't care about reputation and ego and all the rest of it. So if Earl Thomas is now a good player, no longer a great player, then I think you're right. The market becomes a lot more limited. Yeah, you can't be an asshole. Like, that's the problem. You can't be an asshole. Like, it's one thing if you're great and you're an asshole, people will tolerate you. But at some point, like Terrell Owens and some other guy, at some point, asshole takes over. Like, you just, you know, you can't cure asshole, right? <laughs> like, that's the one thing you can't cure. You can't cure an asshole. So, like, you're going to have to get rid of them. Like, and and most of the time, teams with good teams, they, they don't want assholes on their team. So, you can't cure it. You know, like, there's you can't cure somebody who's cheap. Like, there's no clinic you can go to to cure cheapness, right? Like, there's just no way. You can't cure an asshole. Like, they're always going to be an asshole. So, you might as well get rid of them now. And I think Earl is behaved like an asshole. My name is Earl. We'll figure out what happened with him when we come back. We'll look at the return of Alden Smith, quarterback competitions from around the league, plus some thoughts on Brett Bounds firing from the Philadelphia 76ers. That's next.
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. We talk about a lot of guys who are trying to find different homes. How about Alden Smith and his return? Cowboys first-year head coach Mike McCarthy was asked for his early impression of the veteran pass rusher. These are his first NFL snaps in almost five years after a lengthy suspension for Alden Smith. McCarthy said, quote, I would say that if you walked away from practice, you'd say, hey, who the hell was number 58? That's my thought when he walked on the field for the first time. Apparently, he's been great. This is the 30-year-old Alden Smith. Hasn't played in the NFL since 2015. He violated the league's substance abuse policy. He had issues as a player with San Francisco and Oakland. You know, oftentimes, Mike, you root for people to get a second chance. And this guy's had second and third chances. I mean, he was suspended with the Niners in 2014, had a one-year ban. Oakland retained his rights. He got released after uh, an arrest in a domestic violence case. He asked for reinstatement, and now he's been really good. He was an all-pro eight years ago in San Francisco. If you like redemptive stories, then I think you should be happy that Alden Smith is getting another chance right now with Dallas. Yeah, I mean, look, well, we got to see it, right? So, like, all this stuff that we're getting reported on from the media, you know, we're going to talk about it here in this in this block, but, you know, take it with a grain of salt until we see it. You know, this is, this is the old Red Auerbach, evaluate the evaluator. Like if you're reading in your newspaper that this guy's having a good camp, you know, like there's, there's, you know, Philadelphia every day, they have their beat writers, right. You know what this guy does, just evaluate the evaluator. Like is like, how well do you think he evaluates? And then you go by what he says. So this is a little different. McCarthy went out of his way to praise the kid. We'll see, you know, look, I think when there was a time in the national football league, when Alden Smith was a dominating player that he needed to have double teams on him almost all the time. He was physical. Physical, you know, but he has he had demons in him. I mean, there's no doubt he had domestic violence issues. He had some off the field. I think he had drinking problems off the field. He had substance abuse. He had a lot of things going on in him. And it, they were there at Missouri when he came out. But he was a dominant player in college. He was a dominant player for the 49ers. And so now that he's got his life turned around with his coach, Jim Tomasula, I mean, this is huge here for Dallas. I mean, this is huge for Dallas. I mean, Dallas has rebuilt this defensive line. And I know they lost McCoy but that's not really the, the 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 thing is getting off the field on passing downs and now with Everson Griffith to go along with to go along with Alden Smith to go along with the De, DeMarcus Lawrence that's three 
really good rushers that you can't double team. I like the Red Auerbach line, though. Evaluate the evaluators because that makes a lot of sense when you look at the Chicago Bears and MVP Mitch. You said previously MVP Mitch has to start week one so the Bears can save face. But reports coming out of the media is that for the first time, Mitch Trubisky truly struggled with his accuracy. Apparently, uh, two high passes to Ted Ginn Jr. were a warning sign of what was to come. Trubisky continued to miss throws from CBS Sports. It's not like Nick Foles ran away with the day, but he certainly did not struggle to the degree that Trubisky did. As you said before, again, don't trust quarterback gurus. Trubisky already treading on thin ice if these reports are to be believed. I mean, they're going to start Trubisky. I mean, because look, even the guy from CBS Sports said it's not like Foles ran away with the day. Okay. Like Trubisky being inaccurate, like is that a news story? Like seriously, here's what drives me crazy. You know, all offseason, we've heard about how Josh Allen's been working. He's going to improve his accuracy. We heard about how Mitchell's a different guy. He's changed his body. He's done all this. Like at the end of the day, like, if you can't, if you're not accurate, you can't, ch- it's hard to change it. It's hard to change it. And when the game speeds up, it becomes even harder. Now, if you're a Bears fan and an MVP Mitch is having trouble in practice, whew, that's going to be a real problem because they're scripting him to have success. I still think he's the starter because they can't go back. They can't go back to him because they'll lose him. He'll be in therapy. We'll have to call Dr. Melfi out and have MVP Mitch sit with her for two weeks. <laughs> what was that? What was that hotel that she was working out of over there? Remember when when her office got closed down? What was oh. it like the? Uh, <laughs> I forget the name of it, but that was a great conceit. Like, this therapist has got to keep working. So you just have to go to this hotel in the middle of nowhere to get your therapy. That was great. Yeah. I mean, she's over there at some hotel. It's a, it's a, a walk-up hotel, you know? It's like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, so, like, that. that's where Mitch will be going. He'll be going for therapy over there. So, look, I, I will just say, take all these with a grain of salt. I mean, I think you got to be really careful. We don't have games. And, look, the, the Dolphins just cut their fifth-round pick Curtis Weaver from Boise State. Guy was a great pass rusher in college. He's 6'2", a little chunky, but, uh, you know, he was a really good rusher, had a lot of sacks. They did four practices. He got hurt, and they cut him. So that tells you a lot. So I think they're rushing to judgment. Like, I think you better be really patient with your rookies this year because you don't really have enough time to evaluate them, whereas the veterans, you kind of know. If they look like they did before, then you know what you have. But these younger players, there's going to be some growth. Now, a lot of teams claim Curtis Weaver. I think there were like 18 teams are interested in the kid. I don't know how many claimed him. Cleveland was awarded him on the waiver wire, but now he's hurt, so they can't use him. But the reality of it is, is that's a free fifth round pick for Cleveland if they take him. And and Miami, who had all those picks, loses one. Uh, Producer Joe chiming in the hotel that Dr. Melfi went to is the Plaza Hotel. So yes, at some point, we may see Mr. Trubisky at the Plaza Hotel if he loses his job. Speaking of quarterbacks... Josh Allen, we know what's great about him, don't we, with the Buffalo Bills? He's got great athleticism. He can move his legs. He can make short passes. He makes something out of nothing. We get all that. What's the problem for Josh Allen? The deep ball. According to Sports Info Solutions, his deep ball catchable target rate, 37%, tied for last in the league. So he needs to be a more accurate passer. We got that. He's not going to be Drew Brees, Mike. He's not going to complete 70% of his passes, but... If you wanted a guy who was more accurate, then you would have drafted somebody else. Bottom line is this. 
The Bills, I think, could win the division. I mean, we said this a year ago. They're going to be toe-to-toe with the Patriots. But you got Stephon Diggs now. He's a burner. He's going to want to go deep. What happens if Josh Allen can't make those deep throws? I think their seasons rest with it, right? I mean, he's got to be able to make it. I mean, he's 7 for 50 on throws over 30 yards in his it, last year, you know, so or in his career. I mean, so this is the problem. Long foul balls don't do you any good in, in baseball, nor do they do you any good in football. I mean, you got a guy wide-ass open down the field and you overthrow him by 10 yards. What good is that? So, look, we know this. The Bills season is all about him, right? It's all about Josh Allen, how well he plays. Can he play? Can he raise his game? And again, I'm not judging anybody until the first game. I see it in person. I want to see him play when the game speeds up. Here's the key part. Practice is, as Allen Iverson would say, practice, right? It's there's no way the game is as fast is as fast as the as practice. You can't simulate. I don't care if you go to SoFi Stadium and you practice there. I don't care if you go to Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. You like the the practice are never as fast as the games. And when the games speed up, that's when you find out whether the guy's accuracy or his ability to to use his fundamentals has changed. Uh, that's why it's certainly going to be frustrating for the Buffalo Bills, like you said, if he can't make those moves. Speaking of the AFC East, Cam Newton apparently is looking good. The Patriots coaches have said, yeah, it's a competition, yada, yada, yada. But unless something happens, seriously, you can't imagine Kim Newton isn't the guy. Now, according to media reports, Jared Stidham was at a hospital on Thursday for tests on a hip injury. Could take several weeks to overcome. He still did practice on Friday, though. But help me out here, Mike. Does this mean Stidham's out? Because, uh, unfortunately, with a nod to Huey Lewis, it's hip to be square. And in this case, if his health isn't 100%, we already felt like Cam Newton had the inside track. But now Stidham's definitely out. No? Yeah, I think this is week three of the preseason, right? So this is this this week for NFL teams is really about getting your team ready for the opener. And I think you'll see, you know, you'll see teams use less more reps for players that they need to get ready. Like if you're Chicago, you know, and you're Matt Nagy and you're getting ready to play Detroit, you need to really, you need to really uh spend time getting him all the reps this week. This is week three of the preseason. I think you'll see Cam Newton get a ton of reps. I think the Patriots will will really do things to make sure that they get him ready for the opener when they play Miami. I think the same thing with Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and two. I think Fitzpatrick will get the reps. I think you've got to make the decisions now You've, you, on who's going to be the guy that gets the reps because you only have so many reps. Like football is a mathematical problem. So you have a two-and-a-half-hour practice, right? And you're going to have, let's say you have 70 offensive reps. Well, if you're getting ready for the season, you want your starting quarterback to at least get 50 of those 70 reps, at least. You know, now some of them are going to be in run period. So, you know, you don't care about getting the run period reps. It's just handoffs. But of the plays that matter, the seven on sevens, the inside, all the things that matter, the red zone, the, you know, you want him to get at least two thirds of those reps or else you're not going to have them ready. So I think that's what's going on up in New England. You know, and I think this, I think the one thing coaches can really learn from COVID is, is that is that you have to be able to control the variables, right? So variables control is the most important thing that you can deal with at this time. And so when you 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 need to be able to cut down on things that you can't control. So you can't have a big playbook. Like you can't. If you go into the opening game with your playbook from last year with with basically 21 days of practice, you're a moron. You're stupid. Like nobody's going to learn all that, right? So you've got to cut things down. 
And you've got to keep it simple and you've got to reduce variables. You've got to control what you can control. And I think that's what they're going to do in New England. All right, so that's the case there. And you touched on the Dolphins as well. So Ryan Fitzpatrick's already been announced as a starting quarterback week one. Tua, at some point, is going to take over. What I have forgotten, Mike, is that Tua is battling for the backup job with Josh Rosen. I mean, selected the 10th overall pick just two years ago. He's 3-10 and 10 as an NFL starter. I don't think he's going to beat out Tua for the number two spot. But isn't it amazing to me to think, wow, Josh Rosen was the guy in Arizona. Then they get Kyler Murray. Now he's battling with Tua, who's eventually going to be the number one. And at least for week one against the Pats, Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be the guy. Yeah. And, and look, that's the way it has to be. I mean, Tua is just coming back to football. It's going to take him some time. Now, I do think Miami will have some some packages for Tua for when they open up in Miami. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think they'll go up there and they'll have Ryan Fitzpatrick on the field. They'll have two on the field. They'll try to steal a couple plays. I'm sure New England's getting ready for it. They're going to involve Tua. I think they're going to integrate Tua within the offense as best they can and still have Fitzpatrick run the team, which I think is smart because he's going to have to get hit. You're going to have to see him respond, how he handles things. But but Fitzpatrick's got to be the opening day starter. He knows the playbook. He can make the adjustment. Could you imagine two up there in New England? dealing with Belichick's double-A gap pressure and then trying to get into the right protection and trying to do it all within the time, that's going to be a little challenging for any young player. And certainly does not want to be overwhelmed by the moment. So that's the story when it comes to quarterbacks. And we come back, we'll knock out Hard Knocks, the latest episode, why it was disappointing for us. Plus, Brett Brown, gone as coach of the Sixers, as are Mike's favorite basketball team. We'll discuss all that more when we come back. Episode three of Hard Knocks aired last night, and let's get this out of the way. It's been fairly disappointing, Mike, because there's really not much meat on the bone. Oh, As I so said to you off air, if I told somebody who was not a football fan, hey, you should watch Hard Knocks, they'd say, why? I'd say, well, there's going to be a compelling narrative. It's like you talking about the Rockford Files. Like, already, I'm like, okay, clearly. There's excitement. There's enjoyment. It's well-written. It's well-cast. Hard Knocks seems to be like, all right, we have the cast. We got McVeigh, and we've got... Uh, you know, an assortment of good players, Jared Goff, et cetera. Okay, fine. And then we're going to figure this out. But there's no narrative. There's no story. And so last time I'm watching, okay, Chris Harris is a family guy. Cool. Uh, there's a kid who was drafted the seventh round out of Baylor whose dad was uh, the best man at Brett Favre's wedding. And now Brett Favre is on a Zoom call with Johnson. I'm like, all right, cool. Nice little moment. Nice little interaction. But like, where's the juice? Where's the intriguing part of this? I mean, they, they focus on guys who are like on the fringes of even making the team in the first place. And there's really nothing of substance. Like at least a year ago, you go, okay, Antonio Brown, even if you don't believe it, him and Gruden supposedly getting along, you go, all right, Antonio Brown is flammable. Like he's volatile. Like he's going to be an interesting character. There's no really interesting characters from what I've seen so far in Hard Knocks. Yeah, I I think this, I think when you write, you know, most great writers that write books always have the ending in mind. You know, it's like anytime you watch a show and the ending's bad, It's like they basically, what they did was they had an idea for a show, but they didn't have an ending. And so they kind of worked their way through the show and they figured we'll get to the ending. But like, if you watch some of these great movies with with real twist and like the sixth sense, right? You know, like he knew the ending of his movie when he wrote it and he wrote backwards, right? Like Shawshank knew the ending and he wrote backwards, right? You know, he knew the ending was going to be, you know, Red and and uh, and Andy on the boat and, and Ziwa Tadejo. He wrote backwards, you know. And so what I see this is when I see these shows that have no direction is they don't really know where they're going. And they're aimlessly taking us along with them. And we get bored quickly. 
you know, we get bored and, and, and it's boring. Like if I were producing hard knocks, I would focus on, I would focus on take us into the world of Sean McVay. Like, put us in his office, let us watch him coach the coaches, let him watch him coach the team, explain what he's trying to do, teach us what he's doing. And then for the Chargers, you know, I would try to figure out, I would try to get in the head of their young offensive coordinator, you know, and try to figure out how he's going to replace, you know, Ken Wisenhunt, the veteran, how he's going to coach Tyrod Taylor. I mean, there's stories there, but I think there's no ending. And, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm bored. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I like the coaches yelling at the player, but at some point, you know, you, you, the more you yell, you become begging as opposed to, you know, when they don't do what you're asking them to do, you start to beg. You know, if you keep telling them you're going to, you know, not let them play if they don't block, then you got to take them the hell out of the game. You got to fire their asses because all then you start begging for them to do better. Yeah, that was the the Chargers wide receivers coach. He started the episode by just like dropping f bombs, just crushing these guys. I mean, it was entertaining. And like you said, I don't know how much uh, that kind of blistering diatribe is going to play. What was interesting about it is the point you've always made, which is that you got to block. Like they showed a couple examples. These wide receivers were so lazy, couldn't block. And as Anthony Lynn later was saying, I tell my coordinators all the time, feed the ball to Keenan. Why? Keenan blocks. If you do the dirty work, you're going to get rewarded. Something you've said all along. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really telling into Anthony Lynn. I I go in there and tell him to feed the ball to Allen. Like Anthony, you're the head coach. Like you should go in there and say, look, I want to run X. I want to run this play, this play, and that play this week. And here's why I want to run it. You know, like, like I, I, like I can go tell him. I mean, Millie can go tell him to feed the ball to Keenan Allen. <laughs> I mean, she knows he's good, right? Like, at some point, don't you walk in the meeting and say, "Look, I want to run. I want to run these concepts this week. I want Keenan Allen to play here. I think it gives us the best chance." I mean, he's an offensive coach. Like, 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 like to me, that's like I, I, as a viewer, I watch that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, you're getting seven million dollars a year to make that. I mean, I'll get Millie will do it for a million. It wasn't a very profound statement. It's right. true. Like if, like if I were the GM of the Chargers, I would have not wanted Anthony Lynn to be putting that. Like I would have wanted him to say, Anthony, I think you need to say something where it's a little bit more meat on the bone. Let's run, let's run flanker drive, but whatever it is, call it, name a play. Hey, here's the plays I want to run for this guy. Here's how I want to do it. And here's why I want to do it. Like it's so much like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like at some point you're the head coach. You know, and show America, you know, I told him to feed the ball to Allen. Like, okay, Bella will, Bella, I, I, I got to feed Bella twice a day. She's going to tell me that too. Like, seriously. <laughs> um, a couple of little quick hitters. Um, Clay Johnson Jr., by the way, is the rookie I was mentioning, whose dad is best friends with uh, Brett Favre. They also showed off Sophie Stadium, $5 billion. You see Jared Goff and his girlfriend show up with a hard hat, take a tour of it. That looks pretty amazing. And again, the COVID testing. You stand a few feet away from a monitor that takes your temperature, just go in there. That feels like the new world in many ways, obviously, right now for football. And how about Melvin Ingram? He wants his money. He gets his $14 million a year, and he's back there at practice with a vengeance. You see Bosa saying he supports him, but Again, what what else is Bosa going to say? Of course he supports his teammate. And of course Ingram's going to be happy. He gets his $14 million. I'd be practicing with a vengeance as well. Yeah, I, I love how all the coaches are like in, in Melvin Ingram's corner. Oh, yeah, we got to pay him. We got to pay him. Like, yeah, seriously. No, you know, it's, you know, it's easy to say it, but how are we all going to do it? You know, it's like it, it leads into the next subject is whenever you have too many people involved in a decision, you know, the decision ain't going to work out so well. Because like the 76ers, you know, now we're seeing they fire Brett Brown, right? And read all the commentary and all the all the uh, 
all the people are running for cover. Everybody has plausible deniability. Poor Brett's out there on an island. He's sitting there. He's taking all the bullets. You know, he didn't want Jimmy Butler. He wanted Al Horford. Meanwhile, you know, it's like Bill Walsh wrote about it. I wrote about it in Gridiron Genius. You know, the owner and the general manager have dinner with the personnel director while the coach works. The owner and the general manager and the personnel director talk about the team. They talk about how great facilities they have. They talk about how great the team is. They talk about how how, how the coaches and coaching the players is right. They talk about this. They talk about that. And the next thing you know, the coach is fired and the three guys that are having dinner and drinking martinis are still in their job. I.e., welcome to the world of the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> yeah, Brett has to walk the plank and obviously he's gone. I'm hoping maybe Jay Wright gets the gig. I know he's in consideration. Obviously, he looks like George Clooney. He looks like a million bucks. He's won a national title, Villanova, Philly, all the rest of it. Do you see them trading either Embiid or Ben Simmons? I know it was a little tough. Obviously, as a Sixers fan, Simmons didn't play, but Embiid making it clear that, you know, he'd want to stay, although he's kind of waffling back and forth. A little weird is his postgame stuff. But Embiid or Simmons, would you trade either one of those guys? No, I, I think this. I think, to me, they have no chance to really – I mean, they're stuck, right? And so – what what do you do in in this situation if you if you're flown in there right you you've got to make you got to make the players you have better you know you've got to now they they say Brett didn't have accountability to the players well you know and then all the players naturally turned on Brett because he didn't have accountability I think it's an important lesson to learn here is that is players only respect knowledge players only will respect you if you make them better if you if you give in to them they may love you but eventually they're going to turn on you. And I think that that's what happened here. And be, and everybody blames Brett for the lack of accountability, but the organization is set up to have no accountability. When the when the sports science department tells you you can't practice the player or you can't do this, then how do you hold players accountable? If you're resting players for games because the sports science says this, how do you hold players accountable? If you're taking players out at a certain point of the game, because the analytics department says this is when he should come out of the game. How do you hold players accountable? How do you coach mental toughness when you have the sports science team doing that? So, you know, I, I get what the players are saying about accountability and – but I know Brett really well. I mean, I, I ha- Brett's been here in my home. We've had, we've had lunch together. We talked about a thousand things. And some of them he could control, some of them he can't. He's a really good person. But whoever gets this job is going to have to try to make Embiid or Simmons better. I mean, that's going to be – they have to get to them. They're going to have to – you have to get to them. As much as, as much as Embiid drives me crazy, there has to be a way to get to them. Because you're not going to be able to get value for him in the open market. Everybody sees his problem. You know, everybody sees the issues. And so as an executive, you got to figure it out. Now, who they hire is going to be critical. They hire Jay Wright. You got to believe he's going to get something out of him. It's a little bit like what Danny Ainge did by hiring Brad Stevens. You hire the right coach. You give him enough time and you give him some clout. You got to give him clout. You can't hire a guy and say, I'm going to give you one year because the players see that as the guy's not really permanent. So you got to send a message to the players by who you hire. And Jay Wright would be a guy who I think would command not only big years or big dollars. You give him, like you said, a four or five-year deal and go, here you go. You can make this work. And hopefully it's like what Brad Stevens has done from going to college to the NBA rather than someone like Rick Pitino who struggled in that transition. Yeah. What I would do if I was Elton Brown is I, I, I would literally, I would say, look, I'm going to go, here's my list. I'm going to go talk to Jay Wright. I'm going to go talk to John Calipari. I'm going to talk to Rick Pitino. And I'm going to offer the, whoever turns. I'm going to the next guy, because I'm going to get. I got to get somebody in here who's bigger than the players. 
who can handle the players and he can send a message to the players. And I'm going to, and I'm going to pay that guy so much money that the players know, you know, they can't, you know, I mean, how do you get rid of Tobias Harris when he knows he's got 130 million guaranteed? How do you get rid of, how do you motivate a player who has all the guarantee? You got to bring somebody in who's got a, a bigger stick than he has. And those names carry sticks. No doubt about it. Uh, as always, thanks to all those who listen. Dan Corrado sent me a message uh, last week's episode. You and Mike were talking about the date you went on with your wife. Got me the chairman of the board kick. Tell me about the Sinatra documentaries. Sinatra at Palm Springs and also Sinatra, the main event, live from MSG. Those are the ones you should watch. And as you heard Mike say, all in on uh, the Rockford Files. If you've got Peacock right now, check that out. You, you know, I, I got ripped last week on the pod by by. You know, did you ever have you watched Sebastian Maniscalco? I have the Italian comic. He's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, he's great. So what I said to you, where did you park? That was like a take. I, I didn't even realize it at the time. It was like a take on what he when his dad says like when he's in Chicago and he's and he's opening up. He's got like eight nights in Chicago. Like where are those people going to park? You know, it's like an Italian thing. I think we have an obsession with parking. Like where are we going to park? Like I was I was so concerned about your parking in, in Hoboken that I, I lost the, the train of the whole story. I mean, of course, naturally, my man Bill made sure I knew about that. So that's it. Uh, well, I appreciate people were listening. And by the way, I think you were valid in that point because, yeah, there's not a lot of parking garages in Hoboken. Although then immediately I got a couple of messages. People go, oh, there's one on 3rd Street. You're just going to take it right here, take it left. Here. OK, whatever. Bottom line is uh, we were lucky and uh, everything worked out. Thanks, as always, for checking us out. The GM Shuffle. M Lombardi NFL. That's his Twitter handle. You can also follow him on Instagram. You can follow me, Adnan S. Furk, on our show's Instagram page, is at the GM Shuffle. Before I let you go, give me give me some update on on Cinefile. What are you watching? Like, what are you watching now? Here's what I was going to tell you. So Oliver Stone, I just read his new memoir. It's called Chasing the Light, and it's terrific. And what he did is he focused on the part of his life, literally, from growing up and his family. You know, his parents got divorced, Jewish father, French mother. He volunteers to go to Vietnam, even though his dad is like, you know, fairly upper class. He was a college kid. No, I'm going to go to Vietnam. He comes back. He writes like 20 screenplays. He has a ton of futility, ton of failures. Ends up winning an Oscar for Midnight Express, which the critics were divided on, but he gets that Oscar. He writes Scarface, which is unbelievable. And then ends up putting himself through hell to write and direct Salvador and Platoon. And the, and the book ends after he wins his Academy Award for Platoon and winning Best Director. It's an amazing story, Mike. It's a really well done memoir. I don't know your thoughts on Oliver Stone is a filmmaker, but it, it really, we're reading that. It made me think of you. It made me think of anybody who's a writer, anybody who's successful in life. It's a ton of perseverance. Like the movie industry has got to be the wackiest industry ever. Like he was churning out script after script and getting rejections. It's particularly on Platoon. He wrote Platoon in 1976 and the studios go, now nobody wants to see a Vietnam movie. Not going to work. Then all of a sudden the deer hunter wins best picture. Apocalypse Now comes out. Oh, you know what? We're backing on Vietnam movies. And he has to struggle to get the movie made and Platoon ends up winning Best Picture. If you're right and you're right from your heart, which Oliver Stone did with Platoon, inevitably you'll find success. It's a hell of a good read. That's awesome. I need to get that. I mean, I love JFK. He produced that. I mean, you can argue with with the accuracy of some of the things. I mean, you know, he he. Uh, I thought he did a great job of, of asking the question that we all need to ask is actually what did happen in Dealey Plaza. I mean, I love all his stuff. I watch him. I think it's really fascinating how he's done it. And I, I think that's a great read. So it's, it's when will movies come back? Do you think movies are coming back? Yeah. So the big news is Tenet, which is uh, the Christopher Nolan film. Of course, he's like one of the few filmmakers that can make big budget spectacles that 
drive audiences and also critics love his movies, obviously Inception, The Dark Knight, et cetera. So his movie, Tenant, was supposed to be coming back July 17th. It got pushed to July 31st. Then they pushed it to mid-August. Now it's coming out next week where theaters are open. So August 31st, September 1st, September 2nd, Tenet, T-E-N-E-T, it's going to be huge. Denzel's kid is in it. John David Washington. The trailers are starting to be put everywhere. But the problem is, Mike, here in Jersey, no theaters are open. New York City, no theaters are open. So I have to go to tenetfilm.com, T-E-N-E-T film.com. The nearest one is Connecticut, my old state. So I'm going to have to drive next week 40 miles to Danbury, Connecticut to go watch a movie. But God willing, I can actually watch a movie in theaters for the first time in five and a half months. Wow, you're amazing. That, that's unbelievable. I hope they come back. I don't know what what up for the industry i just know that you know i i i i have a hard time million i have a hard time finding something to watch on tv it's like getting hard now because there's not a lot i mean i'm caught up on everything yeah you know what i agree with you for march and april and may you're kind of like you know what i enjoy this time like you said i binge watched succession which i had not seen i thought it was brilliant i watched ozark etc but now you're right and now it's going to get bleaker because there's this stretch right now obviously nobody's been shooting anything so if you're tired now wait till like six months from now because nothing's in production nobody can shoot anything it's crazy it really is. I mean, that's what's going to happen with television. That's why the NFL Network deals are going to be so huge, going to be so huge, because uh, there's really, I mean, look, they're, they're not making they're not making shows anymore. I mean, they're not, are they filming anything on shows? So, you know, these the NFL, when it comes on, and if we don't have college football, it's going to be on a lot. No doubt about it. You could have football NFL, like you said, Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays, who knows, maybe even Fridays. Uh, if that real estate is indeed open. Thanks for checking us out here on the GM Shop. We'll be back next week. Maybe we'll do Bobby Bacala next week and then bring it home with Tony Soprano just in time for the beginning of the NFL regular season. Let us know what you guys want. We'll make it happen here on the GM Shuffle.